Welcome to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and we're broadcasting from the annual meeting of the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. In this segment, we're going to talk about social media in medicine. It's evolved to a stage of actually being productive, dare we say. And by that, we mean we have meaningful use in education, and we have meaningful use as a professional development tool for educators. With me today is Brian McGowan. He's Chief Learning Officer of Archimedics, based out of Charlottesville, Virginia, and Dr. Alex Jurisich. He's the Associate Dean for CME at the Indiana University School of Medicine in Indianapolis. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much, Alicia. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks. So, Brian, let me start with you on, on a social media question here. Sometimes there's a natural inclination to see social media through the lens of anecdotes. So we think of the viral ice bucket challenge or maybe the worst side where somebody might get fired over something they tweet. Um, how do you see this impacting social media moving forward, especially in medicine? Right. The, 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 these anecdotes end up... Um, in many cases, driving people to a specific conclusion. So I've met with people who, um, after something breaks in the media, they'll come to me and they'll say immediately that this must demonstrate that social media is bad on these end-of-one scenarios. And the same person may end up a month later hearing some great anecdote about how it was used or some end-of-one example, fundraising, ice bucket challenge, or or some um, patient advocacy approach that's been used, and now they're telling me that social media is great. And like any new technology, I think over the first few years that it, as it's emerging, um, there's not an evidence base that grounds it. So it's tough to um, it's tough to really support one direction. It's tough to really support one idea. And I think what what uh, Alex and I were hoping to achieve at this meeting and in some of the other stuff we've been working on for the last few years is to really begin to promote that evidence base and. Uh, it's a lot easier now than it was two years ago because we can look through the literature now, and there really wasn't literature two years ago. So it's made our jobs a little bit easier. Yeah, it sounds like it. Al- Alex, can you expand on that a little bit about where you're seeing it and where you would like to see it in the lifelong learning continuum? Sure, sure. It's a great question. So w- one of the things that really gets me going when we, when we talk about this is the doctors say, how can you use social media? I don't have time for this. Uh, you know, I'm busy with my patient care, and I am just as well uh, as other people are very, very busy. But the reality is... We have to meet their, our patients where they are, and our patients are on social media. People are looking up information about healthcare or sickness or whatever you want to call it um, online much of the time. Uh, you know, they have 15, 20-minute visits for some physicians, um, but they're spending hours and hours looking at information online. So um, if that's the way that we need to capture them, that's how we're going to do it. It's very similar to, you know, how do you... How do you capture information to talk to your teenager? You actually text your teenager and say, hey, um, uh, please meet me downstairs for dinner now. And that's going to be the best way that you do it. It's the same thing here, and it's not just teenagers. It's literally all patients. So I I think if people can understand that, um, that we capture them however we can, that's really a way to help. Yeah, that's good. So you would use the term um, meaningful use, and I I, I think that fits perfectly into what Alex was saying. I think one one of the ways that this needs to progress is that there needs to be a clear understanding of what you're trying to get out of it. So clinicians, educators who don't, they see social media in kind of the general milieu. They see it as things you do with your friends and family, and therefore, how's it going to apply to me as a professional, either as an educator or as a clinician? Um, If we can help the community understand a singular value proposition, something that they know, I'm going to use these technologies to achieve X. Um, I'm going to use this technology to support my 
um, the, the students that I'm teaching, the, the learners that I'm trying to promote. I'm going to use this technology to make sure that I have information available to me. It's If they understand what the meaningful use is you're trying to get out of it, mm -hmm. then questions like or, or, or um, uh, objections like I don't have time, well, well, you don't have time to be a better teacher. You don't have time to be more informed about the clinical subject matter that you're practicing in. If you help them figure out what it is that they're trying to achieve, then you can begin to deal with some of these objections. Are you starting to see in education the use of social media to measure outcomes from that education? Yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. And the outcomes that a lot of people have sort of looked at in, in social media are not as strong as we in the continuing education world would, would like to, to uh, get to, but it's a start. So, so for example, you know, at, at this at this conference, there's a there's a hashtag, um, ACEHP15 is that hashtag for this particular year. I'm sure it'll be uh, ACEHP16 next year, um, and so that that uh, you can measure how many tweets are occurring. But how do those tweets actually impact patient care? We don't know the answer to that right now. I think you know one of the ways to think about it is: Do you then do follow-up surveys or evaluation of those that did tweet to to look at that? We heard a phenomenal uh, keynote earlier today that people can predict. Uh, the mood of, of human beings by what they're posting in, in on social media and almost predict this person uh, is more likely to, to uh, be pregnant now or th this person is more likely to be depressed without actually saying the word pregnant or depressed in the, in the uh, Facebook posts or in the, in the Twitter uh, uh, comments. So that's pretty fascinating and I think uh, researchers are going to start to study this as we heard earlier, uh, this, uh, earlier yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you're a pediatrician, correct? Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I am, but I'm what's called a med-peds doctor, so I'm dual trained in both internal medicine and pediatrics. So I, I live both in the adult primary care world and in the pediatric primary care world. So yes. And what do you see on the residents mm -hmm. coming out of school, coming, uh, mm -hmm. you know, into your university? Mm -hmm. Are their knowledge of social media in medicine, or just their general mm -hmm. knowledge of social mm -hmm. media in business? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great uh, point and a great uh, comment. I think one of the things that that we see with uh, residents nowadays is, is some of them have grown up with social media, at least when they were a teenager. Uh, being on on Facebook, uh, for example, and uh, you know, people have studied how many of them are. Our, our numbers are somewhere between 98 and 99 percent of of students and/or residents uh, use Facebook in in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, but the reality is, do they understand the professionalism component of that as a communication tool? Just like we have certain things that we're not allowed to do or are allowed to do with communication with patients. So, for example, there's a uh, a rule, set of rules known as HIPAA that uh, residents and students are required to learn that says you can't uh, provide pr uh, private information about patients in this manner or in this manner. Those same rules apply to social media, and some people unfortunately forget that. So there needs to be uh, uh, ways to have reminders to people that you really need to be thoughtful about this. You know, the, the comment that some people say is, um, if you wouldn't be okay with this particular uh, tweet or this post going on a, on a boardroom wall, then, then don't post it. So uh, some people uh, have actually <laughs> tried to come up with ways to quote unquote think before you tweet or think before you post um, as, as, as reminders to people that this, this stuff can be pulled up later at any time. Um, and that's absolutely true. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, this is Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. And we are talking about social media. With me is Brian McGowan. He's Chief Learning Officer at Archimedics and Dr. Alex Jerisich associate dean of CME at Indiana University. So, Brian, Archimedics is uh, an education company, education platform, technology-based. Um, how are you guys incorporating social media into education? We're intentionally not yet. So, um, something we've been studying for a few years, and we've actually developed the, the functionality. So, so the idea is um, 
that people learn best collaboratively, that there's always a social learning element, even in what we traditionally see as kind of being a self-directed learning experience. So you're participating in a traditional online lesson, getting your CE credit, and you're sitting there for 20 minutes, and maybe it's engaging, maybe it's not. But you start having questions that percolate up, and sometimes those questions become, they rise to the point that the question's more important than what you're listening to, and wouldn't it be great if there was someone right there to ask the question of? And, and the reality is, in your life, there may be certain people in your professional network that you would always ask those questions of. Right. Um, I think we know enough now to know that if, you, if any individual learner were to walk into a learning moment surrounded by the four or five most credible resources, i.e. friends or colleagues, that they normally would go to for questions, if they had access to that resource in real time, then the, the immediacy of the answers to the questions that arise would actually accelerate the learning process. And when you're sitting in a classroom next to those individuals, you could turn around and stop the conversation and ask that question. And mm -hmm. there's really not ways to do that in other um, distance learning environments, or traditionally there hasn't been. Speaking of, you both presented yesterday um, at this conference on social media. What were some of the key takeaways you wanted to leave, Alex, with mm -hmm. the folks in the sure, room? Sure, So one of, one of the discussions that, that I focused on yesterday was... Um, uh, doing what, what I call tweeting the meeting, uh, which some people have actually written about in, in several different specialties. So, for example, uh, emergency medicine has, has published this as a field. Uh, urology has published this. Oncology has published this. Family medicine has published this. Even medical education has published this. Um, and, and the reality is that you can learn from tweets that occur during a meeting, and that information can be pulled, A, at the time and, and observed live, but B, can be extracted later to, to study for researchers. Um, and that the third point, which is really an interesting thing, is that it's not just for the people that are in the meeting. Uh, people can, can read these tweets anywhere. And they don't have to physically be here in the same city or in the same hotel where we're having a meeting or a conference. They can be in their recliner, in their home, uh, just reading, following the information as it's coming along. So that, to me, is really fascinating. And it really talks about um, the, the, the reality is that... Uh, Meetings and conferences are about dissemination of information. Mm -hmm. But why should that information be disseminated to the few people who could afford the conference fee to go to the conference? This is, this is a way to, to, to completely open accesses out to all other people that are anywhere, um, whether they're interested in the information or not. I think that's the, the key component. And that's why you use things like hashtags to, to separate out. It's a, it's a filter for all the people that are interested in, in this particular conference or this particular theme um, for the day. So that's pretty interesting. It is. Tell us about your role. You are a digital editor, correct? Yeah. So um, recently uh, I started as the social media editor for the journal uh, JSEP, uh, Journal of Continuing Education in the Health Professions. I, I literally just started this, and uh, we, we came out with a neat paper uh, that was just literally uh, two weeks ago. It came out in, in print form um, to discuss uh, uh, ways to how the journal can leverage social media to impact its readers. Interesting. That is neat. So in your presentation yesterday, any interesting Q&A, Brian, that came out of the audience that gave you some insights into their thinking? I, th I think this community over five years um, has evolved. So the educators are now much more interested in the pilots. I think the, the goal of our presentation yesterday was, and, and I think this fits perfectly with the question you had just asked me around, are you using social media in your education? Our goal, and I think Alex and I are like-minded in this way, is, is to help the community understand where the evidence is. If you want to use these new media as part of your education, you should, you should explore whether there's evidence that suggests that it works, whether there's best practices in using it as a complement or as a primary educational tactic. 
And if there isn't, and more often than not, there still will not be evidence directly supporting the approach that you want to take with these new media, then understand that and, and view it as a pilot. Don't bet the entire house on the fact that if we use some form of social media, it's going to replace the lecture, it's going to replace the live. It's not quite there to be the primary source. So one of the takeaways we're getting with these in the Q&A and in the hallway conversations here in, in uh, Grapevine, Texas, is people saying, I want to try this. Instead of saying, you know, tell me how to change my meeting with Facebook. Right. Now they're saying, I, I want to try to add this element to my educational approach. And if we can continue down that path of people seeing this as a science, mm -hmm. how do I apply this? Just like how do you apply PowerPoint slides, you should ask, how do I apply Twitter? How do I apply Facebook? Or how do I apply LinkedIn? They're, 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 they're tools in the educator's tool belt. Interesting. And Alex, I heard recently there was an article in the journal Circulation that looked at the impact of social media on the dissemination of new information and new publications. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that? Sure. So um, this, uh, this particular paper actually is not out in print yet. It uh, came out uh, e-publication ahead, ahead of print. Um, and the, it was actually from the editors of the journal itself. And so the editors uh, studied using social media itself as a way to uh, disseminate information um, about the journal articles in that particular journal. So they randomized it. It was actually, uh, the methodologies were, were quite impressive. Um, and they randomized it to um, uh, using social media on, in the intervention group um, to disseminate information. So it was tweets and Facebook posts about uh, there's a new article on content X or content Y, whatever those contents were. Um, and then the, uh, the control group had no, no such uh, social media push out. And their impact was that there was no difference. So in other words, this, is, this would be considered what we call in medicine a negative trial or it showed no, no uh, change. Um, and so that was their conclusion, was that, uh, uh, that, that it had no impact. Um, to me, the irony of the whole thing was um, when this came out, uh, because this was EPUB ahead of print, which it's, I don't want to call that really a form of social media, but you know, the journals are pushing things out ahead of time electronically before they're actually seen in print, some by two weeks, some by a month or two or even three. Um, but th th this information was pushed out via social media and itself went, quote-unquote, viral. So yeah. it, it, to me, that was sort of ironic that they're saying that it had no impact. And then the discussion of the impact itself had an impact. <laughs> so, so I, I, I mean, it totally, to me, it's the ultimate irony that, uh, that he, here's a way that it, it showed uh, no change, but yet uh, the information about no change had a, a pretty impressive change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. Indeed. So within, within a few hours of it getting to EPUB, I'm sitting at my computer and I've got my Twitter stream on my second screen as I'm doing some writing exercise of one sort or the other, and it comes across that Circulation has written an article about the value of social media for the dissemination of information. So immediately that catches my eye. I read the article. I send it to Alex. He's known about it now for hours. I think actually days before you had had a conversation with somebody else about it, he immediately directed me to two or three blog posts that had been written about the article that mm -hmm. says social media is not really important in the dissemination of information, and we had that first chuckle. This that is, is the chuckle. irony of this. Absolutely. <laughs> Our final question here, because we're, we're almost out of time, unfortunately, but are there some resources that you can direct listeners to go look at online to tell them more about social media in medicine? Sure. So um, one of the things that we presented yesterday was a, a series of articles for uh, clinicians and, uh, and other scientists, how to use these things in your, in your uh, practice. So one, 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 one of the uh, discussions was uh, uh, how, how to live tweet at conferences. It was a great paper from a, 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 actually a basic science researcher mm -hmm. in the journal Computational Bi uh, Biology. 
um, th discussing uh, ways to, to do this, uh, including etiquette of it um, at, at scientific conferences. Uh, another one from the Journal of Graduate Medical, Eca Medical Education was based on just using Twitter in clinical practice and in education uh, for residents, students, and or other clinicians. Um, so th th there are multiple articles that are that are now out that people can access through PubMed and, and other uh, forms uh, to uh, to think about ways of doing it. Some, uh, some other people have written, for example, short posts on uh, you know Twitter 101 or Facebook 101 or 201 or whatever you want to call it, um, and and those are ways to sort of dip your you know, dip your toe in the pool. Um, right. I think one of the things that people need to be careful of is that it's uh, you know people just diving into the pool or or, or uh, just going crazy with it, that, that's not going to work. And, and so some people get right, overwhelmed with that. Mm -hmm. go, go slowly. Um, start slow, but go. If you never go, then you'll never learn about it. But right. if, you, if you start and you're willing to, to learn about this and, and go slowly, I think you can, you can learn some great things from others about it. Good advice, Alex. Alex and Brian, thank you. Really appreciate your stopping mm -hmm. by and talking to us. Lots of change mm -hmm. in social media. We look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you very much. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today. To find more information, you can visit ReachMD.com. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and we look forward to seeing you soon.